Hello and welcome to Straight Up, the new UK music podcast bringing you the juiciest stories and the most valuable career advice from the most influential people in the industry. I'm journalist Kathleen Johnston. And I'm journalist Anna Halls. And every fortnight we interview a music boss at the top of their game, whether that's the most important man in UK streaming right now or a Sony CEO. Our guest today is award-winning photographer and director Olivia Rose, who shot everyone from Skepta and Georgia Smith to Drake and ASAP Rocky. She's especially well-known for documenting the UK rap and grime scene, having done the photography for This Is Grime with ID editor Hattie Collins, an oral and visual history of grime. Her work has been published in British Vogue, ID and Clash, among others, and she's directed music videos for J. Cole and Ty Dolla Sign, as well as homegrown artists like Koji Radical. Olivia also shoots lots of album artwork with credits including Rita Ora, Tom Grennan and Jay Huss. Uh, she did the most recent Kano album and actually we met her for the first time at his insane Royal Albert Hall show. Uh, we were all there as guests of Beats by Dre and yeah, we hit it off straight away. We knew that she was going to be the best guest. Uh, she's the warmest, funniest, most engaging woman. You can totally see why she's got the stellar reputation for being able to really bring artists out of their shells and her work is so personal, so striking. You can really see just from her personality how she manages to like get to that place i literally wanted to be her best friend as soon as i met her i know she's um, so great. yeah so olivia if you're listening olivia graduated from london college of fashion in 2008 with a degree in fashion photography and has worked with brands including Givenchy, fendi asos and billionaire boys club although artist portraits are very much her signature you'll have seen them all over your instagram feed their headshots often shot in black and white taken on film there are billboards in London and Manchester right now featuring H for YouTube music, shot by Olivia. Oh, they're so good, I've seen those. Mm. Olivia really was the most fun to interview and we know that you're going to love her just as much as we did. All her brilliant stories about Skepta and his very intense eyes, directing J. Cole, shooting Maisie Williams, Slow Tide getting naked on set. There was lots of juice and we wanted the record to go on forever. I was obsessed with her anecdote about basically hunting for Jeremy across London after he didn't give her a location for the shoot. Um, oh she God, rose so to the challenge though. Anyway, enjoy guys. Enjoy. Olivia, this is Straight Up. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. How are you today? I'm good, you. look really you. comfy. You're I like am very comfy. I've got my the feet up. Yeah. Chill. Do you know what? I like to wear Birkenstocks most of the year, and I've made that mistake again today on this freezing cold. you got your cold. feet out, and it's so cold. Exactly. End of November day. That's why I'm cold up. I'm like, let me uh, retain some heat before <laughs> I have to go back out into the cold world oh again. So I'd have to match them with some socks. You could do that. Yeah, I could That'd do that. Good. I don't even own many socks. I'm really like really? I'm really averse to socks. I don't <laughs> I don't like it. I own like one sock. Just just one for one foot. I mean that's like such a classic you that you would have like a million of like odd pairs. None of which <laughs> last time I came around your house you were actually wearing the pair of socks that I lent you last time you came that's to my so house. <laughs> and then you can't have them back because she's actually wearing yeah, them at the time. I borrowed yeah. ankle socks from my boss at work. You borrowed socks from your well, boss. Well they were clean. <laughs> that's they were weird. clean, but she's never got them back either. No. And I always end up wearing yours and hers most. Well, well that's go. the kind of thing that goes missing, isn't it? You know, you give a, you lend a pair of socks, it's never going to You're never going to see them again. It, so. That's a free gift. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, not yeah. much to do about music, sorry. Um, Olivia, tell us about the first musician you ever photographed. Plumenek. Who was it? The first musician I ever photographed. Oh God, I'm going to have to rack my brains because I can't <laughs> think who it was. I can tell you about the first musician I ever photographed that I was like, can I swear? Yeah, yeah. That I was like, oh, holy fuck. 
I am photographing this person. Okay, yeah, that? and Even that better. was Mary J. Blige. Wow. Ooh. Okay. And it came in through ID magazine, and they they sent me this like really unassuming email that said something like, "Oh, hi, Liv. You know, Queen Mary's in town next week. Want to go and shoot her?" And I was like, "Yes, yes. Like, where? What? When?" Um, and it was quite a fun story actually. It was as part of a part of like a press junket. So loads of different, you know, PRs, journalists, everyone was going in and out of this same hotel room. And I think we were towards the end of the day. And uh, Mary was obviously, you know, she'd she'd had quite a few people come in and photograph her and interview her. So I think, you know, we were getting to the point of the day where she was getting a bit fed up with it. And I was told that I would have one roll of film. So that's 10 frames, 10 clicks of the camera. And she came out, she was she was in the bedroom, that's where she was having the interview done. And she came out into the room that I wanted to photograph her, the sort of living room of the suite. And I decided that if you're only gonna give me 10 shots, then I'm gonna like really go for it in these 10. So I kicked off my, and I'm not even joking, Birkenstocks. <laughs> right? So I'm like, right, let me get shoeless, cause gotta be comfortable. She's looking at me like crazy person. And then I turned around and it, in this suite, there was like a chair. So I'm like, okay, I need some height. I'm gonna drag the chair over. I'm gonna get this perfect in my 10 shots. So I went to drag the chair, which was, I shit you not, made of like concrete or bowling balls or something. <laughs> it was unmovable. So I'm embarrassing myself so much to the point where she actually just started laughing behind me. It sort of broke the ice. And her giant beefy security guard, you know, built like a brick shit house, came over and was like, <laughs> do you need a hand? <laughs> yes, please, you know, can't move the chair. So he sort of dragged it over for me. And yeah, that broke the ice for us. So we at least got 10, you know, shots of, shots of character as opposed to 10 like really stayed and posed <laughs> shots at the, at the beginning of the session. So yeah, that was my story did with Mary Chapter. Did Blige. you chat to her at all? A little bit, but she was she was very professional, you know. She was one of those artists that wasn't there for a for a chit chat. No. Um we did we had a little moment when I was literally kicking my shoes off and making a fool out of myself where she was like I think she said something to something to me like what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, well, they've only given me 10 shots, so I'm trying to make them good, Mary, you know? And she sort of laughed at me and, you know, but it wasn't that kind of session. It was more like, in you out. know, professional. And she kind of had this look in her eye, like, you know, I'm kind of into the fact that, you know, you've, you've clearly come in and done this differently to how everyone else has been trying to do it. Did ID just run the one picture in the end? Yeah, they just yeah. run the one picture in the end. But that's all we needed. It was just part of, I think it was part of a wider feature, you know, like a music feature. Mm. So we had the one picture, some text on the other page. Did Mary share it? Bob's your uncle. No, Mary didn't share it. Mary actually didn't like it. Is oh, that, oh no. Shall I, shall I throw that out <laughs> yeah. there? Yeah. How do you know? Um, how do I know? Because they came back and it was actually the time that I kind of finally knew that ID Magazine were, or I was a friend of ID Magazine because they came back and said um, that they hadn't wanted us to release the picture, but because uh, because we hadn't signed any, you know, any bits of paper, we sort of had the rights to do so anyway. So they'd pushed back and said, look, we're running it. And they really loved it and I really loved it. So sorry, Mary J. Why Blige, you if you're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to set you up, but yeah. you only gave me 10, yeah. 10 frames, woman, so. <laughs> Does it offend you when artists don't share your pictures? Um, offend, no, but I do feel a responsibility to make or to take a picture of somebody that they like. And I do feel upset when people 
don't like it. And I think in that particular case, you know, probably it's probably quite um, wild that I even admitted to that because it's not something that I like to share really. Yeah. Um, and especially when it's such a big artist and, you know, arguably at that point of my career, that could have got me so many likes and follows mm. and all of that jazz. But um, no, I feel more upset than offended because I don't think, or I have the, um, not foresight, the oversight now to understand that when you're looking at a picture of yourself, it is very difficult to remove yourself from your insecurities and to see the picture for what it is. Mm. And often you're so focused on that one thing you hate about yourself that you can't see that it's a beautiful image. And so it doesn't offend me as much as upset me because I want those people to see what I'm seeing in the picture. And it doesn't actually happen that often. And it tends to be that when it does happen, people are quite vocal about it. Do you show people as you're shooting them generally the photos if you're doing it on digital? Never shoot on digital. Mm. Oh, okay. Don't even have a digital operator on set. I am staunchly and unequivocally and have, you know, lost jobs along the wayside because I just refuse to shoot on anything but film. Is that even if you're doing like a big commercial yep. fashion project or something? Yep. Interesting. Yep. Um, and nowadays it's, you know, I think I always knew I was playing the long game by working in that way. And so, like I said, you know, I've been, I've been in the running for various different commercial projects where I've got to the final stage and then I've sort of been sat in a meeting room with the brand or, you know, the client. And they've said, oh, you know, well, we, we will have digital operator on set, won't we? And I've said, no, no, we won't, you know. And that can be a deal breaker, which is fine. That job wasn't for me. Does that mean, sorry, like the ignorance, but does that mean that there wouldn't even be like the screen where everyone else on the set can like see shots coming through? There is absolutely, oh, so only you deliberately have, like, not yeah. that screen. That is why Cause you don't want everyone I won't have in. a digital operator. It's not even about, it's not so much about people chiming in. I'm there to work as a part of a team. No shoot happens mm. without your team. Everyone from, you know, the stylist to the stylist third assistant, everyone is crucial on the day. And I don't like to think of anyone in a hierarchy, you know, if the chair needs moving, you know, I will ask Mary J. Blige to move her <laughs> own chair along, you know, like I just don't see the point in having a hierarchy. And now, as always, we've got a very short break to talk all about our fabulous series sponsor, Master of Malt. Master of Malt is a leading online drinks and spirits specialist through which you can buy all of our guests' favourite drinks throughout the series, as well as the delicious rum that Kathleen and I drank in this episode. So full disclosure guys, Olivia actually doesn't drink alcohol and she'd requested a Diet Coke. So while she very much enjoyed that, Ellie and I actually <laughs> had a bit of rum in ours. Yeah, because we always have to have a little bit of something, don't we? I mean, it's the theme of the podcast, that's fair, right? It wouldn't be right without it. Uh, so anyway, with the rum we recommend is the Diplomatico Reserva Exclusiva. <laughs> Dark and delicious Venezuelan rum that has a really smooth taste. It's actually really good. We're laughing because of Ellie's pronunciation. But, <laughs> it's like when yeah. I said Rosalia. I can only speak Spanish in a whisper. That's okay. That's yeah, okay. that's all It right. works. I also really like this rum with a lot of lime juice and a bit of sugar syrup. Ooh, a daiquiri. Mm. Do you remember my friend who's the bartender and made loads of those at my birthday one year? Oh yeah, I do remember. He worked at Burlock Bar, right? Burlock Rum Bar in Oxford Circus. I actually have been there and I've had an almond butter colada. First Ooh. time I've ever had one of those. It was well, so good. Right. Was it creamy? Yeah. Um, it was more nutty. 
Mm. Yeah, it was like the whole earth peanut butter. Oh, nice. It was really good. Well, if you'd like to buy a bottle of the Diplomatico rum, head straight to our special Straight Up and Master of Malt landing page, which is www.masterofmalt.com forward slash straight up. That's www.masterofmalt.com forward slash straight up. It costs 38.75 and can be delivered within a day of ordering if it's before 9.01 p.m. For drinks not featured on Straight Up, just go straight to www.masterofmalt.com. Please drink responsibly and thank you very much, as always, to Master of Malt. What's the weirdest brief you've ever had? Weird briefs. Or like one that was like literally like a word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is the weirdest brief I've ever had? Do you know, I think I've had some weird briefs in that I haven't sort of Have you just been taken the job, yeah. And and it's normally less about the words than like a mood board somebody will send me. Something that I have a particular bugbear with is if somebody sends me a mood board and it's like all Nick Knight photography. And they've sent it to me <laughs> so and I'm like, and I will literally reply and say, oh, photography you wanted is called Nick Knight. Here's his contact <laughs> details, you know? And, and then they're obviously sat there like, fuck, we couldn't afford Nick Knight, you know? But it's, and people should think about this when they try and onboard people, you know? There's, there's no point sending me another photographer's work with their style because even if that I could replicate offensive. that, it is quite offensive, yeah. But even if I could replicate that, I don't want to. I want to do my own thing. And so I think a more useful mood board, which other people might actually, you know, if you'd ask them the same question, what's the weirdest brief you've ever received? They'd probably reply with what I would love, (laughs) which is a tapestry next to a Fanta bottle, next to a portrait, next to, I don't know, a Pantone. That I understand. I'm like, ah, you wanted joyful, colorful, you know, headshots of, you know, I just, for some reason, that makes that's sense amazing. to me, you know, because it's like, and that's what I think I've taken over into treatment writing as a director. I try and throw in those, it's almost like if you throw in like a a cultural moment, and by that I mean something like the the bottle of Fanta or, you know, something that people associate with like a hot sunny day and a refreshing mm. sweet drink, you know? you get a sense of mood as opposed to a sense of something you want to replicate. And I think there's far too much of that in the industry of photography, you know, people wanting to replicate someone else's picture. Because I think nowadays what people are booking me for, which, which really makes me beam and makes me so thrilled, is people often say to me, can you do like the, um, or it's, mm, can you do like the Olivia Rose thing that you do? And I'm like, yes, I can do that, you know? And it's kind of like a thing that people can't necessarily put their finger on, that they see through my work, which I think relates to making my subject comfortable and making them trusting of me, Mm. which means that even in a short amount of time, I can push them further than somebody else might be, might dare to push them. Would that be in terms of composition or what they're comfortable with in terms of how they hold themselves? Both. And I think also I'm I'm not a photographer who's afraid of somebody who comes in like with an attitude or comes in, you know, there was kind of this ongoing joke at one point 
<laughs> amongst a few magazines where they were like, oh, we've got difficult talent. Who should we? Oh, let's get Olivia to shoot them. Because for me, I love that challenge. Who's had the best attitude? Best attitude? Well, I guess if you're- Or like best worst attitude yeah. or best best attitude? I guess best yeah. for you as a photographer, not necessarily as someone that had, not the interviewer. Basically, it's completely different for the interviewer and the photographer, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think there were a lot of guys when I was shooting This Is Grime. You know, those lot have such strong personalities. They have, uh, they've also been through kind of 15 years of being almost like in a tumble dryer of the industry, you know, where they've been thrown about. They haven't always got the the dividends for their output, for the fact that they've literally started a cultural movement, which is now making commercial brands multi-million pounds, you know, and have we thought about them and have we given back what they've given to us? I'm not even sure we have still. And so there's an untrusting nature to a lot of those guys. And a few of them did really, you know, it was almost like testing me. Um, Temper T, when I went and shot him, I, I think he was trying to put me off shooting him and he was like, <laughs> no, nah, but I'm in Milton Keynes. And I'm like, great, I'll get on the M1. And he's like, oh, but uh, it's raining. And I'm like, excellent. I've got windscreen wipers. I'll see you in, you know, I'll see you in an hour. How are you communicating with him? Uh, DM, text, I can't remember exactly. I know that Danny Weed, the uh, producer and DJ, um, <laughs> ended up giving me a load of numbers. Like I kind of found this way in because he's, <laughs> he's one of those people that has fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. You know, it's often those people that know everyone's number. Yeah. So he was the one that I kept going back to, like, Danny, just have a little request for you. Um, but yeah, Tempati met me in his car and then drove me, we were going to his house. And like, this guy, and it really was raining. I've never known anyone to drove, drive so fast. I was like, is he trying to lose me? <laughs> and at the time I was driving a big tank. I was in like a Honda CRV, which does not like zip around and maneuver the roads like really easily. <laughs> Luckily, I'm an absolute G when it comes to driving. So I'm like, <laughs> you can't lose me. I'm like, <laughs> you know, scrutin' around corners. And we made it to the house and he, you know, he almost like there was this moment where he was like, well, what do you know about grime? Like, why are you here to photograph me, you know? And I think always in those situations, I've never, you know, I would never lie. I'm like, well, I don't know everything about grime. I'm here as a documenter, you know? Mm. And I think those guys respect that I'm not a person who's gonna lie to them and try and pull the wood over their eyes. It's like, if you wanna, if you don't wanna be shot by me, I can literally leave now, that's fine. I would rather have made the effort and tried than not. And that's often what I say when a client is like, you know, but oh, but what if that person won't do a handstand like you really want them to do. And I'm like, well, let's not cut it off here in the meeting room before we're even on set. Let's at least try, you know, because what's the worst they can do? Say no. What's the set of photos that you're most proud of pulling off? Um, You're really throwing hard questions at me because <laughs> these ones require a lot of, of a like- memory Yeah, exactly, searching. going back into the archives. Yeah. Or like stand, yeah, standout images from the past couple of years that you love? Um, I think I really love the shoot I did with gigs for Brick Magazine. Um, there's one photograph from that in particular and it's uh, like a headshot of him in a red hat on, it was almost like a gold backdrop. And he's got this look 
like, I don't know if Giggs is going to like this comparison, but it's like a Mona Lisa smile. You can't tell <laughs> he if he's smiling or not, or, you know, but he's got this real look in his eyes. There was like a really lovely moment after that shoot where ID Magazine had requested a photo shoot with Giggs and his manager came back and said, no, he's not going to do a photo shoot, but he will take photos with Olivia Rose. Aww. So to him, those two things are completely different. And I wonder if that is something to do with the laptops, the clients, the extra people that get to weigh in, the, you know, the kind of impersonal nature of some photo shoots, you know, mm -hmm. that, like you said, you know, kind of turned them into a bit of meat that a we're dressing up, you know, yeah. as opposed to being concerned with how they want to represent themselves. It's the way that you make male um, musicians at ease different to the way you'll treat female musicians. Definitely. In what way? Um, I think, and I'm, I'm kind of always tentative to talk about this because, because there's been such a negative sort of feeling towards the idea of flirting on set. And so I want to caveat what I'm about to say with, <laughs> I flirt with everyone, you know, everyone. I flirted with Chris. Hi, Chris. <laughs> at the beginning of this session, you know, you because... That, Chris? We're going on a date afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> because, because that's a way to get people on side, you know? I totally agree with... Do you flirt with your interviewees? Yeah, if, yeah, in, if, if, if you like yeah. gauge the but mood there's and then also, otherwise... You... I, say, I always say there's two ways. With guys, there's two ways. I either go in with like a bit of a flirt or I go in as like mum or auntie or the nice lady. Yeah. Because I'm going to tell them what to do. <laughs> yeah. Those are the two boxes men like to put us in. Exactly. <laughs> so... But you know, it, it kind of works. And yeah. it, especially in like the photo shoot setting, you know, there is great power to reminding, and especially for like some of the younger artists I shoot, to reminding them of their mothers <laughs> and their aunties, you know, oh. because they don't want to say no when I've been a really nice lady, you know. They've got <laughs> no reason to say no, you know. I'm like a bit funny with them, you know. I don't give a shit if people are smoking weed or whatever they want to do on set, I've got no problem with that. And you know, I try and make the environment that someone's coming into as comfortable as possible, you know. So if, you know, if it was, a Snoop Dogg, I've never shot Snoop Dogg, but you know, I know he likes to smoke continuously. So I would make sure we were in a studio that let us smoke weed, you know, but like that's, yeah, that's the kind provide. of thing, okay. the kind of level of detail I think about before I go into shooting someone. And similarly, if I'm shooting girls, you know, you, you also have that flirty rapport with women, you know, and I'm not afraid to, I think I'm not a woman who, feels uncomfortable necessarily at like the extreme beauty of another woman. I'm excited by that, you know? So I'm very vocal with people. I mean, I've literally very just- Very complimentary. Sorry? Very complimentary with women. Yes, very complimentary, but, uh, but in an authentic way. I don't tell lies. And I think what is funny is that my assistants always take the piss out of me. They say to me, oh, yeah, 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 because that's the kind of noise <laughs> I make. When I'm getting excited about the pictures, I say a couple of things. One is shit, yeah, shit, yeah, shit, yeah. Oh, fuck, shit, yeah, you know. Like, and, and like, can you imagine if you're on the other side of that, you're like, this woman is insane, but I think she likes it. Yeah. So, um, and the other one is, oh, yeah, 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 you know, and that's just me, like, I... I lose my words because I'm so into it's like it. so good that you can't even express properly. Exactly. And I think male or female, when you're getting what feels like a really positive response, you know, it's like many likes on Instagram. It's exactly the same psychology. 
you know i'm genuinely filling someone with you know it might be the weirdest thing they've ever heard in their lives but they're like okay something's going on here you know she's feeling some kind of magic and i think people can always feel that when's the last time you had that feeling on a shoot do you think um i shot eliza um about a week and a half ago and it was just outrageous. I mean, like literally every time I put my eye to the lens, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did this shot in a swimming pool at the end of at the end of the shoot. And um, my God, she just looked amazing. And I, you know, I don't think anyone had expected me to actually get in the pool, but you know, I just immediately wandered into the pool and I'm like, somebody give me a camera. And it was just like, you know, this beautiful moment where I could tell by the end of the shoot, she's really comfortable with me. What about when you're shooting like really conventionally beautiful people like Georgia Smith, who yeah. the pictures oh God, have been in pictures. the National Portrait Gallery, right? Yeah. Which is pretty major. Um, what about that? It's a dream. Is it? Yeah. Is, is it literally easy? Um, or do you find I, very beautiful people not necessarily the most interesting? Well, ooh. Do you know very beautiful people is a subjective term anyway. That's true. The person that you would say was was very, and just FYI, Georgia, I think you are very beautiful, so I'm not talking about you. Just re recognize that the question was rolling off yeah, from yeah, that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a very subjective thing, and the person that I would say was extraordinarily beautiful, we probably wouldn't agree on. Who would you, can you say, who do you think is like the most, well, who's made the most striking impression on you, rather than? DWE. <laughs> Have you seen those cheekbones? Yeah, Have you seen his perfect skin? Have you seen like his the, Christmas ad? Oh my God, the Christmas <laughs> ad is just very, it's too very good, isn't it? unacceptable. Yeah. Like. Two double E once drove me round in his Benz when he had like barely had a hand on the wheel. Oh. And then when I when we went into Jammer's basement because I was interviewing him there, yeah. what I loved was that he walked in and without looking ex where he was sitting, he managed to sit exactly beneath where he'd signed his name on the wall. Yeah, that's because that'll be his spot that though, be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's like, oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, who else do I think is extraordinarily beautiful? Um, Maisie Williams. Mm. Yeah, you did a really gorgeous so set of photos with her, didn't you? But you know, like so often for me, it's it's a combination of, you know, that there is a science behind beauty and it's about symmetry to the face. I think most people know that by now. And, you know, that is always a pleasure to shoot because you've kind of got a good angle both sides, if that makes sense. Other people are better from one side or the other or from certain angles. Um, but it has to be paired with the personality to match. And that's another thing that I really think I try to successfully bring out in my images is a sense of who someone is. <clears throat> and with Maisie Williams, we sort of hit it off straight away on this shoot day. And she seems like a really fun. She person. is. She's just, and she's smart because her chat with Sophie Turner gave me life. Yes, do you know? She and that's exactly what she does. Yeah. She gives you life. She's that person who's just. She's very unexpected, and she wasn't. You know, not that I had a, a particular preconceived idea of her. I must be one of about three people in the world that hasn't actually seen Game of Thrones. Oh Ooh, my God, interesting. No, I never actually I wonder told if that, her that on yeah. the day. I wonder if Did you not? That's I quite nice though, like that. Because it meant that you, there was none of her character that you drew on, it was just no, her. No, exactly. And and I really didn't have any preconceived notion of her at all, other than her face and what mm. she looked was like. Was it Friday, the shoot? No, it was for ASOS, actually. Uh, okay. uh, R.I.P. ASOS magazine. 
Because um, I think a lot of people see Maisie as her character because she basically grew they, up on the show. Tomboyish yeah. and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And was Good so you young when it. she started. Mm. And so actually, I think I think because of that, she recognised that the questions I was asking her were quite genuine. You know, I, I think I don't like to research somebody too much before I go in. I need to know who they are and, and what they do. But other than that, I like to ask them so they can tell me, you know, because it's so easy for us. And I'm sure from the interview perspective as well, it's exactly the same. It's so easy for us to to take what other people have written or things that we've read about people as fact. And people are malleable and they change and they grow and something they said five years ago might not still be fact. So I like to, you know, part of how I build that relationship is asking them questions. Like what you kind know? of questions? Um, with Maisie, you know, I was like, well, when did you start doing this? You were like young, weren't you? And she was like, oh God, yeah, you know, I was tiny. And you know, I was like, how the hell did you get into it? And she explained this whole process of she was a dancer and that's what she wanted to do. I think she wanted to be a hip hop dancer. Did she? Which, you know, I was like, mind blown, this little tiny thing, you know? And I'm like, really? And then she was like, yeah, that was like my whole thing. And then I actually went along to this audition and like, bish bash bosh, my whole life has changed. And you know, it was just this kind of really authentic conversation between two people. Have you become friends with any of the people that you've shot off the back of a shoot? Loads. Georgia Smith and I are really good friends. I'm friends with Maisie. You know, I did her her podcast. Um, DWE is one of my great friends. I've, What's I he mean, like as a friend? Double. Yeah. One of the most respectful human beings you will ever meet. So respectful to women, so loyal. Um, he's a good friend, he gives good advice, he will listen. You know, he was one of the people who came to my house that I've lived in for two years. And it's kind of the great Julie Adenuga quote is that everyone in Grime moved out of Plasto and I moved in. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved in, you know, kind of local to DWE. So he came over to see the house. And do you know what he said when he walked through the door? He said, Livs, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. And that meant so much to me that somebody would recognize that, you know, I finally, you know, got a, big deal. got a place to myself that is big enough to have a giant workbench where I can do my arty things that I do on mm. the side, you know? He's a really lovely person. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of these guys I've become friends with and guys and girls because I think it's because I just won't allow for this hierarchy, you know? And because I find people so interesting that I'm not afraid at the end of it to be like, dude, we have to be friends because you're just like wild and amazing. And I need to ask you so many more things, but we're at the end of the shoot now, so. Was there know, anyone that you felt you had to impress? Um, hold on, yeah, there was and someone. And Skepta comes to mind. I think Skepta as, as like a specific example is a person who can be very different from one day to the next. Mm. And I think I've met him in a variety of moods now. The day that he and I did our first sort of big shoot together, um, a cover shoot, he he was so comfortable and so actually do you know what do you know what put him in a comfortable space was? He was one of the only people that's ever come into a shoot with me and said, Do you have references for me? Mm. And I was like, Oh, interesting, and wasn't prepared for it. So I had to kind of like quickly come up with some sort of references. I knew what I wanted to shoot with him, but you know, didn't have a mood board. So I came up with some pictures and he looked at them and he went, oh, okay, so it's kind of like school portraits sort of vibes, but like sexier. 
And I'm like, exactly, exactly <laughs> it. And as soon as he knew that, he <clears throat> suddenly wanted to go and get a cardigan that he didn't have in, in the bags of stuff that he brought with him. So he actually went and got in a cab to go and get this cardigan. And I think everyone around was like, oh, bollocks, we've just lost him. He's never coming back, you know? <laughs> and I just had this feeling that he was coming back. And he did, you know, like 10, 15 minutes later, he came back with the cardigan. Was it a nice cardigan? It was a nice cardigan, yeah, actually. <laughs> I think he wore it in the cover shot in the end. I so. hate men in cardigans, personally, but... <laughs> <laughs> do you know what Skepto would look good in You'd, or out of anything, quite would. frankly? Yeah. So, um, And do you know, it was the hottest day of the year in 2016. It was August 2016 and it was sweltering. It was like the hottest day of the year. And so that felt like a very good reason for him to not be wearing a shirt. You know, I was like, I think I said something like, Skepta, it's too hot for this. Take take this off, you know. And he just sort of gave me a look like, you're such a little shit, you know, and took, <laughs> off, his, took off his shirt, chucked it across the studio and we, you know, carried on the shoot. But no, I, and you know, again, Skepta was somebody who I'd met a few times previously, you know, and... One of the things that I say is if if it was at all possible and if I had the sort of lead time up to a shoot to do this, I would much rather go and meet the person five times without a camera anywhere near me than go straight in with my camera. And so I think with him, although we didn't, you know, we hadn't sort of formally met, he'd seen me enough times to know that I was a familiar face, that he'd seen me with DWE, that he'd seen me with people that he respects and, you know, understands that by proxy, I'm probably all right. Mm. Um, but he he was one of my, do you know, I, I think you asked me earlier, who was like unexpectedly brilliant and Skepta was one of those people, you know, he was someone who I thought would be one way and actually turned up and was just, oh, like, yeah. just amazing, you know, yeah. like willing to try things out and, you know, giving me eyes, like I'd never seen anyone give me eyes down my lens, you know, I was like, oh yeah, 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 I said it a few <laughs> times that day, I tell you, so. I can't believe I'm making myself sound like such a, <laughs> such an Egypt, but it's the truth, so. And you shot Kano quite a few times, right? Yes, that, Kane. Where we met in real Kane's life. Kane's Kane's show another, the exactly, the Kano show, which was amazing. Oh my oh God, God it was so good, wasn't Shut it? I was so glad we were there. Like everyone that wasn't there the next day was dying. Right? And then you had know. that like bit of smug, like, yeah, yeah. I saw it. It's yeah. a history happening. <laughs> but, um, yeah, what's he like? How's the relationship between you guys? How many times have you shot him? Um, I've shot him a few times, um, probably four, five, six times now. Um, and Kano, you know, I think what's nice is that I now have a really lovely relationship with the whole team. Kano is very tight with his management. Um, they run a tight ship. They have a, a real trust and loyalty within their team. And especially when it came to this album, I really felt the respect of being invited into that tight circle to listen to the music before it was released, which I know is a big deal for Kane. Um, to, to be trusted with that. And so as soon as somebody offers me that respect, you know, it's like I was saying to you before, it's kind of like motivation to, to do an even better job for them. And, you know, we ended up having this, you know, this kind of really lovely journey from press shots to the album cover um, and kind of the, <clears throat> the sort of sentiment of the wider campaign. And that was all because, you know, I had from previous shoots and I can't really remember when it sort of spilled over into having a having a friendship with him but at some point you know we ended up talking on text for one reason or another and so this was the first project that we'd gone into 
with each other's personal details. And what was funny was that I sort of learned how I actually said to him, there was a moment when I sent him the press shots and he gave me a call and he was like, oh, can we just tweak this here and do this there? And I was literally live editing pictures, right? On the phone to Kano and I'm like, Kane, I would never do this for anyone else. I don't know how you've got me doing this, you know, like just making these little additional tweaks. But I do know how he's got me doing that. And that's because he is like, honestly, he must have come out of the womb as a professional, that boy, I tell you, you know, <laughs> like, and he makes, he's particular and he has a, has a kind of way of looking at things that makes sense. So when he's got a, criticism isn't the right word, but when he's got a note, a comment on an mm. image or something, he doesn't just say it for no reason, which so many people do and just ugh, drives me nuts. He's got a really considered, valid reason behind why he's asking you to do what you, you know, what he wants you to do. What was his idea for the album cover? His idea for the album cover, he wanted to show, I think the most important thing was that he showed the duality of the album itself. Like he was, he was really keen that the album cover feel like six weeks of summer, you know, feel like that summer holiday, the joy of that, you know, feels like, fried fish and like the smell of barbecues and like the sun beaming down and childhood and innocence. And then I think, you know, in some way we knew that we had to offset that with what is, you know, a deeply political message, whether he would want to call it that or not. And I imagine he probably wouldn't, but that is what the album puts across. And so I think that was our challenge with Hoodies All Summer was to find find a way to show those two things at once. And for us, that ended up becoming a slipcase to all of the artwork. So the shot that you see with the kids' hands all together, which is like, mm, you know, that so classic lovely. moment just before play, just, you know, it's a moment of solidarity. It's this kind of beautiful coming together of innocence is offset when you actually pull the vinyl or the CD out with quite a brutal image of a kid wearing all white, a boy who's lying in a, you know, a, a beautifully art directed pool of blood. And when it was the night before we were going to print and I got a phone call from, from Kane at like 11 p.m. the night before. And he said to me, he said to me along the lines of like, I'm, I'm a bit nervous. And I'm like, okay, is it the second image? Cause that's the one that you would imagine he would be nervous about. But it wasn't, it was that we'd actually originally had another front cover image, which changed that night to the one that it actually is now. What was that? Um, it was two kids, it was two of the kids that are on the front cover. It was just a different okay. shot, you so know? It was, was it always a really purposeful decision not to have him in the images? Yes, yeah. And I think that was because he had always, you know, for him, this was the moment where instead of looking in, he was looking out with the music. And so that was a really conscious decision and, you know, made right from the get go. He was not to be the sort of focus of, of these shots. Um, and so the, the image ended up changing the night before, but it wasn't the one that most people would be afraid of putting out. And what I loved about that was that he stood by it so strongly, you know, and, and I think his words were something like, you know, I, I said to him, you know, like, Kane, this is, it's really brutal. What we're doing is we're really smacking people in the face with something. And he said, yeah, 
he said, just like it happens in real life, you know, like this smacks people in the face and that's exactly what we should do. Mm. You know, I'm paraphrasing, I'm putting words in his mouth, you know, that wasn't a direct quote, but you know, that was the sentiment of what he said and I respect that. I love that picture of, um, it's on your Instagram, but you're, he's kind of holding up a hand, yes. trying to get you to stop taking One the photos. One of my favorites. Tell us about that photo. That was the first day I ever shot Kane. Um, <laughs> and that was the day <laughs> that was the day that I asked him to kneel down on the street in East Ham and he looked at me like <laughs> he looked at me his face said do you want to rephrase your question <laughs> and then I did rephrase my question um, <laughs> but you know that image was you know me saying you know do no photos Kane do no photos mm. and it was one that I think actually, and this often happens to me, when I'm actually shooting somebody, on the day, I normally come away and I think, I know which one's gonna be the best one. There's like a moment that I can remember. I'm like, the bit where he was taking his hat off, that's gonna be the best thing. And is it always right, your intuition? I'm almost always wrong. And that's what I love about it, you know? There's almost always a moment that, you know, like that hand up moment, which actually is, is arguably one, it would be in my top five pictures that I've ever taken. It was such a throwaway thing. What I was actually trying to do was I'd got him to write Uncle Kane on his hand because I knew that he was so dedicated to his like nephew. And it was something that I'd noticed on his Instagram and my whole kind of point of shooting these guys was that I kind of bring out something that we don't always see in them. That was the reason why in the book there's very few pictures of MCs on the mic. And it wasn't quite working. It didn't, you know, like I kind of got this iconic idea in my head and it didn't really look like that. So I was like, oh, turn your hand around the other way and do no photos then. And it was kind of, I think if I remember rightly, it's like the last um, frame on a roll. It was like, let's just try that because I've got one more picture. And, you know, as is, as is customary with me, it turns out being the one that I like the best, so. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very often wrong in those situations. <laughs> and what about when you go like super experimental with photos? So obviously your signature style is kind of portraiture. Yeah. But um, like the slow tie shoot, like yeah. love mm. that. Obviously he's the kind of person I could imagine being yeah. ideal to push those boundaries yeah. with. Yeah. Sure. Uh, what was that like, that shoot? It's, it's kind of experimental. Yeah, it was very experimental. And I think, do you know, I think I've become... For those that haven't seen the photos, do you want to just... Oh. Yeah, so so if you haven't seen the photos, it was like all about prosthetics. And I worked with a guy called Jimmy Jones, who is fantastic at, you know, kind of prosthetics that isn't, you know, I, it wasn't about turning him into like a demon that we couldn't recognise. It was about like removing parts of him in a way. So there are images where he hasn't got an eye and it's just flesh instead. And he's kind of sewing a button into his eye socket mm. and... You know, all things that are just, you know, were kind of actually frivolously dark for the sake of it. Um, but I mean, the reason I started doing that, I think is really related to the fact that I started directing. And there was a part of me that, when I did that, realized that maybe there was like a, I don't wanna say second source of income because that like kind of, commercializes commercializes everything but there I realized that I had another skill that I could lean on which in so many ways has freed me up with my photography oh really it's made me feel like I can take more risks in that department and not worry about it somehow which I suppose is just like a psychological you know sometimes mm -hmm. you have those moments where you feel like 
you've cracked something. You're not putting all your eggs in one basket now as exactly. well. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> that is cracking. exactly it, you know. <laughs> so let me, let me reweave the basket with some different <laughs> materials, you know, and see what happens. What's been the diciest moment? Um, oh God. Sorry to like, oh God. <laughs> the moment when my camera just, just decided no go wasn't going to play ball and I was shooting JME and for some reason he'd been quite difficult to get hold of during the process of the book we were quite quite close to publishing and I was like I really needed these pictures and we'd got this and it wasn't just that we'd got time with JME we got time with him and MSM engineer who is a producer and it was like such a lovely pairing at his mum's old house you know this setting the access that we'd got was amazing and I came out, started shooting, and I could feel that there was something very wrong with my camera. And Jamie, God bless him, he is one of the, the loveliest, kindest guys you will ever meet. He looked at me, he could tell I'm sweating. You know, I'm like, my hands are probably shaking at this point. I'm like, oh, just one second, technical errors. Ha, 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 you know, turning around. Hey, what's your like, sound for when it's all going wrong? If yeah, 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 is when it's Ha, going. ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> and like, they were just literally, it's like, oh, don't mind me, just technical, ha, ha, you know. <laughs> so you've got a German vibe going on. Exactly, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and he was so lovely. He said to me, Liv, go inside, sit down quietly. He was like, don't worry about me. I'm not going anywhere. Take 10 minutes, take 15, take however long it takes, work out what's wrong, come out when you're ready, which is so lovely, oh, you know, yeah. like what a lovely thing for him to say. So I did, I went inside, fucking, oh, fuck shit, how am I gonna make this work, oh, bloody camera, you know, tried everything, and then worked out this really bizarre method that I decided was gonna make my camera work, which is putting it onto its, there's a setting that you can put my camera on that works with no battery which means that it's shooting a, a really bizarre uh, shutter speed. So I was like, okay, I can account for that. And then I had to turn the camera off in between. I mean, it was just like, I don't know what I thought I was doing, but I thought I'd save the day. So I went out and shot these nine rolls with them and then took them to the lab and no, none of them had worked. Oh no, you didn't <gasps> get a single one that you could use. Didn't get a single one. Just for any clients listening, that is the only time that's ever happened. And it will <laughs> never happen again because I now understand what was wrong with the camera. But all was not lost because in that situation, you have two options. You either, you know, pretend that you just didn't want to put Jeremy in the book or you, you know, you can hide that and just pretend that it didn't happen. Or you can do a me and message Jamie straight away and say, yep, you know, that day when you told me to go in, fucked, completely fucked, all nine rolls, nothing, blank, dead, you know? Like, what can I do? Please help me out here. Never happened to me before, really embarrassed, but you know, shit happens, what can we do? Because, you know, God knows, I'm sure he's gone in and recorded something and someone hadn't pushed the button, yeah, I mean, you know? We've all human, been through this. Of course. We're all human. We've done that with our interviews. Mm. I've had to redo oh, one. Oh God, yeah, where you've got, you know, yeah. no dinner phone on or yeah. whatever, yeah. exactly. So he said to me, okay, look, I'm gonna be around in London today. If you can find me, you can shoot me. And I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. So I'm like, where are you? I can't remember, I went all around London. Oh, I'm in Croydon drive to Croydon. Just Where are you, Jamie? Oh shit, so sorry, I forgot. I've now gone to Hackney. I'm at Cook Daily. Cool. Drive, 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 got to Cook. Hi Jamie, where are you? Oh, actually just gone to this shoot now and I ended up finding him. So somehow I went through <laughs> Elephant and Castle and picked up an assistant. I'm calling <laughs> assistants, right, the whole way because I'm like, I need someone to hold a light the, because it was this time of year so that the light is going down. And I'm like, any minute now, I'm not gonna be able to shoot him anyway. 
managed to find an assistant en route who was in a co-op or something. She's like, hi, Liv, I'm just buying dinner. I said, put your basket down. <laughs> She's like, what? I'm like, put your basket down and come out onto the high street. I'm driving past in five minutes and we're going to shoot JME. And she's like, okay. So then she came out onto the high street, picked her up on the way. We went to somewhere near the Rotherhithe Tunnel and that's what it's called in the book. JME shot somewhere near the Rotherhithe Tunnel. He came out of his video shoot and he was like, ah, you got me. You know, so he really got... was testing you? Yeah, he... well, no, I don't think he was testing me. You know, like, like, if you show up, you show up. If you don't, exactly, you don't. Exactly, you know, okay. and I think he was like, well, you know, you've, you've, you've done it and it. you've shown up. Yeah. So he gave me sort of 10 minutes and he was like, what do you want me to do? He was like, and because I hadn't got any of my regular equipment with me, you know, I normally would have a ladder so I can get a bit taller for the boys because I'm not tall enough to shoot them. And I didn't have that. So I was like, Jamie, I'm really sorry, but I need you to squat down. He's like, okay, squat down, you know? And he was really doing everything I wanted him to do because I'd made that effort to to go and find him, you know? We need to ask about Jamie and Corbin. Oh my God, what a day. Do you know, that, that was another one that was just kind of, I mean, I... Are you a Corbin fan? Not anymore, uh-huh. unfortunately. But, okay, at this time, were you still all right? Yeah, at this time, I was very much a Corbin fan. Whose idea was it to pair them? I think it was Hattie's idea, Hattie Collins, yeah. um, who was the author of the book okay. This Is Grime and is just a fantastic queen journalist of and queen of, queen of music. Um, I think it was Hattie's idea. Although someone's probably, you know, out there somewhere like, no, it was my idea, yeah. but I believe it was Hattie's idea. And, you know, she's a person who is in a, un- in a unique position to do that kind of thing because she has so solidly got the trust of so many people. Do you know, the thing that I really remember from that day was we went to meet him in a pub in, um, like, Holloway. And while I was in there, someone turned around to me and was like, did you know that there's, like, six armed guards in here and I'm looking around like no there aren't because you know you imagine what an armed guard looks like they're like no no there really are and I'm like but there's only like six other people in the place and they're like yep that's them (laughs) I'm like what you know I'm like which one is it that guy over there drinking beer or that you know and and that's obviously the point is that they don't look like armed guards but like I was so mind blown at that um but you know like I must say Jeremy Corbyn is a very relaxed kind of a guy um, I mean, they do a million press junkets, don't they? And yeah, he's been through the ringer. He he's knows been what he's through doing. the ringer. Um, and actually, he although he couldn't name a single Stormzy song when <laughs> presenting. I know, Stormzy's but I do feel quite sorry. Like he probably just got put on the spot. You know, yeah, do you know that's that's difficult because even I probably couldn't name you a Stormzy song if you asked me yeah. straight away. You know, name it's one. like I mean that's worse. Shut down. Yeah. <laughs> Worse than like a no, Rory that's not, Stewart. You mean like, shut up. Shit, I do shut mean up, shut up. Down, up. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is what happens. Yeah. Hang okay, on the fair. If you can't do it, then fair exactly. enough. Exactly. But do you know there, there was something that DWE said to me once, which made me laugh. He's like, I hate it in interviews when people ask me what's your favourite X, Y, or Z person song, because you know there are people who just have that like encyclopedic knowledge yeah. of like song names, and then there are other people who like. You know, if you put it on, I could sing you every lyric, but I can't tell you who it's by or what it's called. I'm so bad with that kind of stuff. Or it's like when someone says to you, you know, like if you, this hasn't happened for a while, unfortunately, but if you get ID'd and someone's like, what's your year of birth? I'm like, um. Or, you know, even sometimes when people are like, what's your name? (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's. uh, um, What? 
Olivia, I think. You know. I've got my age wrong by two years. Really? I said I was 24 when I was 26. I that's mean, just like wishful thinking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. That does happen yeah. sometimes, yeah. Um, to go back to the directing thing, yeah. um, obviously you have done various bits and bobs before, like you're saying, but for me, looking through your work, a huge moment was the... Uh, Tide on a Sign yes. and J. Cole video. Yes. Can you please tell us everything about that and how it came about? Yes. Um, so that was one. Do you know what I liked the most about that was when I was pitching on it, I was like, I kind of sometimes I go into things like over defensively because I was like, if I'm pitching on this, I will not shoot it unless we have permission to represent all kinds of love. You know, there have to be gay couples in there. There has to be all sorts of representation. And I was like, rrr, 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 rrr. and management and the label came back and said, yeah, obviously, okay, so how we, and I was like, oh, that part wasn't the fight, you know? So that was lovely working with people who, you know, Ty Dollar and J. Cole are both really very lovely boys. You know, they're really nice. They're, you know, there to work hard. They're both really easy to direct. They take direction well. Was there anything that surprised you about what they were like that you didn't expect? Um, do you know, inversely, and actually now I'm remembering, J. Cole was someone that I was starstruck by and probably one of the only people that I've ever, when I first met him, I went in while he was having his hair or makeup done. And I came out of there and I did that like excited dance that you do. And I was like, <laughs> I met J. Cole, Aww. I met J. Cole. Um, but he was someone who was so exactly how I expected him to be, I was shocked. And how is that? That is like the boy you could bring home to your family home and you'd be like, oh babe, you don't need to take your shoes off. And he'd take his shoes off anyway because he is a respectful Love young that. man. Clearing the table. Yeah, he yeah. is just like goodness radiates from him. He was, like I said, exactly as I'd expected quite serious? him to be. He is quite serious. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, there was this he moment where in very much the same vein as, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> sometimes I get, I, I call people, oh, hi, my love, or babe, or my darling, you know, I'm, I just get a bit friendly like that. And with him, there was a moment when I said, okay, my dove, let's get back on set. <laughs> and I'd mix darling with love, and he looked at me, and I, and I was like, did I just call you my dove? And he was like, mm-hmm. You probably think it was some, some yeah, British sweet cute little dove. Yeah. And I was like, do you know what? I'm just gonna go with it. So for the rest of the shoot, I was like, okay, my dove. And you know, we had this little, oh. a little moment where we were, we were having a bit of a giggle about that. But what do you do when there is an outright diva? Go with it. You, okay. What, you just embrace it, it and it. get them yeah. to like be that person more and then yeah. shoot them in that context. And I'll go yeah. diva with them. Because that's the easiest way to get them to realise that they're being a dick. You What's know? the most fun diva-ish shoot you've had? Um, <laughs> I mean, we had... Oh, God, what can I say on the record? Everything. Everything. <laughs> I mean, Skepta Pure Water video was, was quite the... You know, we went from this stills shoot that was like a real symbiosis to the music video, which took us at least three and a half, four hours to find rapport again, you know? He was he was being difficult. As and if you didn't know each other or just... Yeah, it, it was bizarre, you know? And, and after that still shoot, you know, like, we know each other, you know, we're, we're not friends and I'd be lying if I said that we were, me and Skepta are friends, you know? But we're acquaintances, we know people who, who know each other. If I saw him out now, you know, he's he's never not come over and said hello, you know, we know who each other are. And there was just something about this day. And you know what? 
you can't you kind of can't put it all on them i don't know what was going on in skepta's life at that time you know so for whatever reason on that day he is just being difficult and you know that was one of the only situations where i i did sort of lose my temper a little bit and there was no i didn't shout but there was a point where i was just like look there's no point me me putting forward my opinion on this if you're just gonna override it all you know like why don't you just tell me what you want me to do and that will make our day easier and that was a moment at which the conversation switched from difficult 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 to him asking me what i thought was gonna be best and i think often it's putting yourself in the same place you know if you're going to be a diva i'll be a diva it's like you know when kids get on the floor of the supermarket and they go wah, 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 and they smack if you literally lay down next to them and do it too i can guarantee they stop they look at you like are you mental they're like so embarrassed and they get up and they're like mental person you know? <laughs> so you sometimes you've just got to yeah. do that with somebody and that's why, you know, and just label it, you know, if someone's being a diva, instead of being like, oh, you know, oh, God, they're being a diva and going and talking to the PR about it, just be like, oh, I love it. You're in diva mode today. Right, let's do it. Somebody bring us champagne, yeah. you know. <laughs> oh, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah, and just, you know, then, and then, do you know what? If you can't bring them back, you can't bring them back and you try You've anyway. Given it a go. But you will definitely get some sort of laugh out of them or some sort of, you know. Light in the mood. Exactly. What's the advice that you give to young people coming through um know the power of saying no and i think that it is really really crucial because somebody once said to me never take a job that you wouldn't want to be at the top of google when somebody you know googled your name you can't take back work that you've done nowadays everything is so like visible and shareable um and i think although it's difficult because people need to earn money and make a living. If it's something artistic that you want to go into, learn your style, learn what jobs are gonna suit your style, learn when you get a brief that you can push to make it yours Mm. and learn when somebody sent you a brief that is not for you because that will happen at least 50%, if not 60, 70% of the time. And the more, the more you become acquainted with your own style, the more you start pushing what you want to shoot and how you want to shoot it, the more briefs come in and the percentage changes of things that are right for you. Have you had to learn to be selective? Um, Or is it something that you've always been able to harness? I think I've been quite good at that. I mean, I think it was partly, you know, selections were sort of made for me because of my absolutely no digital on set. Um, so a lot of selections have been made for me, but I have always been selective and I knew that I didn't want to shoot for certain magazines and I knew that I didn't want to... Which magazines won't you shoot for? I'm not going to say that on record. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> You're trying to stitch me up is it because though? Is it because you don't agree with what they've done in the past or... Stylistically. What? Sometimes. Sometimes it's just a visual thing. Okay. Um, sometimes, you know, and and this is probably a more vapid thing, but is real as well. You know, sometimes it's because um, the people that I did want to work with don't regard that as a as a good magazine to work for. Like if your goal, for example, is to work with British Vogue, your best bet is to work out what other publications, brands, people, they they pioneer and push forward. Those are the people you should be targeting, you know? 
you've curated quite a specific personal brand, especially with shooting um, like urban musicians, let's say. Yeah. Uh, is that purposeful or mm. would you look to shoot like rock bands or indie artists? Um, yeah, I'm kind of open to shooting anyone. I mean, I think the reason that I went into shooting a lot of black musicians and kind of, you know, I suppose music that comes from black culture is because it came off the back of my personal work, which um, is always when I talk about this now, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because the reality is, is that I went into that work much more ignorant than the person I am now, 10, 12 years later to, to kind of starting my journey through what at the time just felt like an innocent look into somebody else's world, which I now realize was potentially because I didn't know who I was within that a white middle-class person with privilege was in some ways fetishistic, was in other ways, you know, the, one of my first major personal projects, which, you know, I was really proud of at the time, I just upped and decided one day that I was gonna go to Kingston in Jamaica and photograph gang members. Well, how privileged is it that I can just decide one day to go to Jamaica and do a personal project? you know, without anyone else paying me. Never in a million years at the time had I thought about that. Mm. And now here on the other side of it, I've created a name for myself in a world that, you know, that I actually, you know, I don't feel that I, um, how's the best way to put this? Um, I know who I am, the worlds that I've kind of, engrossed myself in like been a part of documenting and then inherently like we said you know made friends you know the world that i move in now is a really diverse world you know there's a heavy leaning towards black culture black music a lot of my friends a lot of the people around me a lot of my influences the people i have loved the people who have loved me back have been part of and amongst that world but that is not my world. And so there will always be a part of me that sits on the side of that, wondering whether it is problematic for me to be documenting people in the way that I do. I am aware that I don't need to preach about representation and diversity, not just in front of the lens, but more importantly, behind the lens where people are earning money to that particular girl what I realized in the It's Nice That talk was that I would have a predominantly white middle-class audience to talk to. And that is where I can come into play. I don't need to preach to the converted. Fuck me, it'd be embarrassing for me to try to because I have so much more unlearning to do and things to, you know, break that are socialized within us, all of us, you know, before I could ever try and speak to people who knew better than I did. Mm. But when I'm presented with a room full of people who might hear something I say and think twice the next time they go into, you know, the ad agency that they work for and, you know, ask, I've been asked ridiculous briefs, you know, like, can you shoot the black female experience? Oh my God. And I will reply oh. to that with a list of black female photographers. Like, no, that is ridiculous, you know, but people don't do that to be willingly nasty or negative. It Naive. is ignorance and you can't attack people for ignorance. We just all have to work together to break it down. 
And who is the artist that you haven't shot yet and that you would love to? And is that maybe part of a wooing campaign that you have for someone in particular? D'Angelo. I love him. I love him. I love him. He's my favourite musician. Um, Do you court musicians that you can't? Yeah, do you ever pitch to people direct? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, normally I let it be kind of an organic process, but that's another thing that I say to young photographers, you know, don't think that anyone is out of the realms of possibility. The most amazing people reply to you on the internet, you know? I don't know if you guys watch Rhythm and Flow, the Netflix series. Oh my God, I love Cardi I need to watch that. But from the first episode, I was in love with D Smoke. I'm like, oh my God, he's an amazing lyricist. There was something so cool about him. At the time, he had 10,000 followers on Instagram. So I messaged him straight away when I watched the first episode. I've just been watching it. Hi, from England. You know, he's like, oh, I might be coming to London. He's replying to me. He's only gone and, oh, spoiler. He's only gone and won the fucking show, you know. And now yeah. I've got an in where we've got, you know, he's given Amazing. me his management's email. My reps have been speaking to him. And you'll get photos. You know, so, yeah, sometimes wow. I do do that. Mm. Um Also, I like to think that I've always had quite a good gauge on, you know, like Georgia Smith, for example, you know, I shot her way back when, before the kind of boom of Georgia Smith. And and my whole reason for wanting to shoot her was because I just believed in her as an artist. And so I like to think that, you know, I'm a step somewhere on on this journey that people go through. But yeah, D'Angelo is someone who, you know, I would never... Have you asked him? No. And I wouldn't, like that's just got to come to me and it will in its own time. Is there anyone that's just said no? Um, and who you're working on? Do you know, it's funny because I think it, like those things, it's like I wipe them from my memory. <laughs> I'm sure people have said no, you know, like maybe not artists, but you know, like when you ask people on the street, can I photograph you? Or I, I often go to Notting Hill Carnival and just try and drag people out of the crowd. And people will say no, they'll say no, they'll say fuck you, they'll say why the fuck, you know, like, and sometimes people can be quite rude to you, but like whatever, you know, you just giving it a go. Keep it moving. Like, what was sure. Tom Grennan like? You Tom Grennan. Yeah. Oh my babe, what a lovely babe. Oh my god, you look lovely. so happy at the thought. Yes, no, do you know he was he was an absolute babe. We got on really well. We'd had a pre meeting before the shoot, and I think you know he's he's my kind of guy. He's like really down to earth, really humble. Yeah, no, we we had a bit of a. Loving. A photographer muse loving, yeah. <laughs> did you interview him, Kath? Yeah, I did like a Facebook Live with him as well where we had oh, loads yeah. of sound issues, so it could have been like really fucking awkward. Oh. He's very stylish. And it was great, very stylish, obviously amazing voice. We, it was like a setup where we did 10 minute interview, he did a song, 10 minute yeah. interview, he did a song. Yeah, he's a dream. He's got like a swag about him, you know? Mm. Yeah, Like there's something definitely. about how he speaks, how he... You know, he was like how he was smoking his ciggies on the shoot and you know. It's like a more contemporary, like cooler, more up-to-date millennial, like Gallagher vibe. That's exactly what I was gonna say, yeah. Yeah. He's got that rough and ready, like, you know. Yeah, it was shit and what? Yeah, Yeah. and I love a lad. I love like, you know, the cheeky boys. Like I know that that, you know, they probably don't want to be called that, but they're (laughs) often like my favorite people. We're so tight cheeky. Oh, of course he was. He got naked. Oh yeah. And it was just like like the most beautiful thing, you know. I've never seen someone so entirely comfortable with I themselves. You going to say something else there. No. <laughs> oh my god, Christ. Um but no, you know, like he got naked, but you know in those situations you're not looking, are you? You know, it's like when you're in the changing room with your mate, you know. She might be naked next to you, but you're not really looking, you know. You see but no, you don't take it in. Looking. Or maybe you guys do. <laughs> maybe but you I are. see but I yeah. don't take it in. 
But he just made me laugh, you know, he got completely naked and then he's shaking it all around and he's going, it's only a willy. <laughs> and it just really made me laugh. You know, he said to me, look, you know, when I was younger, my mum would say to me, she'd be like, come on, boy, run down the street. You know, it didn't matter if I had clothes on or what. And honestly, isn't that the way that we should all be living our lives? Like, he's right. It's only a fucking willy. Like, whatever. And it's funny because he's got such a beautiful, like, purity to him. Yeah. Even though there's this kind of crazy, scary Edge. vibe going yeah. on. And I think that's that's where he gets the confidence to be that person, you know, because it's like you can't be one without the other. Was he cheeky in your interview? Yeah, but also just the nicest person ever. Like yeah. A, like a puppy. Yeah. Like a and that's dozy, sweet, kind, thoughtful. Yeah. Little puppy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He'll give you cuddles and then be naked and then eat Nando's and yeah. then, you know, just like, just do, 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 do. Yeah. The set. Like and then along. when he's bored, he's bored and it's done and ducks goes and it's over, you know, it's like. What a pleasure. Those are the people who it's like such a pleasure to spend the day with. Those are the people who I want to be friends with after the shoot, you know, because that's an energy that is so invaluable to have around you in life. Like, I swear it's kept me, you know, it's kept me sane at times to to have been lucky enough to be around people who have that like magic energy, you know? Well, well, Olivia, it's been a pleasure to have you on. You have a magic energy. You do. So thank oh, you very much. It's been so much fun. Oh, thank, thank you, you guys. Thank you. My mouth is dry, so it must yeah. have been good. No, <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode of Straight Up, we would love it if you could rate, review or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are a new podcast, so any feedback uh, would be hugely appreciated and would really help us in the charts. Our music and editing is done by musician and podcast producer Marlon Percy. You can find him on Instagram at Marlon Percy. Straight Up is recorded at London's club and co-working space The Ministry by Chris Bailey from The Boy in the Corner, who you can find on Twitter at CornerHQ. If you've got any comments, questions or suggestions for our next episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at Kathleen.m.Johnston and halls one or on Twitter at KME Johnston and Eleanor Halls one That's one the number, not the word. Thank you for listening to this episode of Straight Up and we really hope that you'll tune in next time in two weeks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.